Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yeah. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hello everyone and welcome to this week's edition of the Spanish Football Podcast with me, Phil Kitramelides and Dr. Sid Lowe, who is back from his extended quote-unquote holiday. Hello, Sydney. Boo! Yeah, how does it feel to be back? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, it's, I mean, genuinely got in really, really late last night in the end and obviously unloading bags and stuff. And you know when you wake up the next morning, that you just look at all the bags and think, oh shit, where do I even begin with this? Um, <laughs> yes. Um, which is why we're recording on Tuesday because Sid got back very late on Monday night. Um, you've you've just sort of relaxed, completely zoned out. You know, didn't didn't follow any football. No, for three I have no weeks. idea. You really just cut yeah. off, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. I didn't go to any games or anything. Didn't go to any games. Didn't travel <laughs> two two thousand miles to Bilbao and back to to cover a game. So yeah, uh, Sid has been very much still keeping his finger on the pulse of Spanish football despite being away for three weeks. But now he's back. And we're here to discuss um, what's happened over the last few days in the world of Spanish football. Mainly, it's been the Spanish national team who lost 2-1 to Sweden in Stockholm on Thursday. It's Spain's first World Cup qualifying loss in 28 years. They recovered to beat Georgia 4-0 in Badajoz on Sunday evening. They played Kosovo away on Wednesday. That means right now Spain are top of Group B with 10 points. They're one point ahead of Sweden, but... Sweden have played two fewer games. So it's not really in Spain's hands. And, and that loss to Sweden, it's a, it's a big one on Thursday for, for, for many reasons, not least because it puts their qualification for the World Cup in real danger. Yeah, those are the two, the two basic elements, aren't they? One is the fact that it hadn't happened in 28 years. The other is the fact that it puts it in danger. And I think, I think it's probably fair to say more in danger than previously. So Spain hmm. have got through to tournaments through the playoffs before. In those playoffs, in truth, when Spain haven't won the group, and I, I can remember a Luis Garcia hat-trick at the Calderon. Uh, I can't remember for the life of me who it was against now, but it's a very long time ago. Um, probably the best part of 12, 13 years, maybe even slightly more. But in, in those previous times when they haven't won groups and they've gone to playoffs, you've always kind of felt, yeah, but it, it won't be difficult because the playoffs have been structured in a way that, if I remember rightly, it's been... Four games, so eight runners-up playing each other. Um, yes. And then it's been seeded. So I remember mm-hmm. Spain being very deliberately kept apart from Italy. And it might even have been that year when Luis Garcia, which might have been against Denmark. But anyway, in any case, you looked at it and you thought, well, even if they don't get through the group, they'll find a way through. Correct me if I'm wrong on this, but the player structure is different this time. So it mm. goes into a series of semi-finals, and then, then it goes to, to finals. So you've got to get through two rounds. The chance of you playing a stronger team are that little bit higher. So it genuinely becomes... 
a possibility, not a probability, because I still think Spain would get through those playoffs, but it becomes a possibility that Spain don't make it to the World Cup. So, yeah, it is, it is significant. Um, and, and Luis Enrique was kind of edgy after that first game in, in the way that he talked. I mean, you could, you, you could, <laughs> he, he, he usually is. Yeah, I, I suppose so. Although I think there's a difference because I think he's usually edgy in a... And I think this is one of the things, by the way, that the Spanish media doesn't always appreciate. He's edgy in a slightly playful way. I think he quite right. likes winding the media up. I think after the Sweden game, he was edgy in a much more genuinely upset way. Mm. I, I, think he, I think he was annoyed. And that's the third element. And you've said, you know, the, the fact that it's 28 years and the, and the fact that they've got to go through the playoffs. I think the third element is this wasn't them being unlucky against Sweden. Mm. This wasn't mm. being able to hold up your hands and say, well, look, you know, we completely dominate. A little bit like happened in the European Championships in the first couple of games. We completely dominated. We were the better team. Um, you know, we really should have got through. It's just bad luck. Although even if that had happened, of course, we'd be worried about it because we'd be saying this is a recurring theme. This time mm. it is... Spain lost 2-1 and could have lost by more. And the... the <laughs> I don't know how to put this. The evening they gave Eric Garcia in particular was mm. not a comfortable one. Mm. Uh, Eric Garcia coming in for quite a bit of criticism because of his uh, performance, and and Luis and um, uh, Luis Enrique in turn also coming in for criticism yeah. for for selecting uh, Eric Garcia. Although they don't need any excuse to give it to. Luis Enrique, the Spanish. No, they don't. Media. That's they, definitely they, true. I mean, they, they absolutely love it. You mentioned you mentioned to me, and I hadn't seen it at first. The the, the attack on Luis Enrique for not picking anyone from Extremadura. Yes, because they were playing in that in that region. So yes, you've got some, to pick some bright light thought thought. Oh, it's just it's just these are the kind of little nuances that a that a national team manager needs to understand. And Luis Enrique just doesn't get it. He hasn't picked anyone from Extremadura despite Spain playing there. And we tried to work it out, and I, you actually were the one that came up with it. Reckon the best player from Extremadura was probably Pedro Porro. Yes, who is uh, who was not in this squad, although he has been in the, in recent squads. Anyway, um, a brighter point, I suppose, for Spain: uh, the performance of Carlos Soler. He scored in both games yeah. so far, uh, playing probably. Let's be honest, because Pedri has been given time off. Yes. He scored in each of Valencia's first three matches. He's now scored in Spain's last two games. Five goals in five consecutive games. He's the most informed player in Spain right now, the Valencia man. I mean, I've said before that I really like him. At times, I must admit, I've, I've said that I, I'm not entirely sure why. I can't quite put my finger on what it is about him that I like, apart from the fact that he's a very good footballer. But I, I, I don't think, in truth, that I would claim to say, you know, he's an amazing player, absolutely must go with the Spain team. But there's something, he uses the ball well. He's intelligent. He doesn't make mistakes in, in decision-making. Um, he hasn't always stood out necessarily as, as a goal scorer, although I remember when he first came onto the scene, I'd watched him play actually with Valencia's beating, um, not because of him, I'm not going to pretend that I was, mm-hmm. I was watching him, but, but Charlie Ianson was playing for Valencia at the time. And I remember actually being with Charlie when Soler scored that lovely chip, either in his first or his second first team game for Valencia. And, and, and being with Charlie and Charlie being really excited about this, you know, this is because obviously this was a teammate of his, a friend of his from the B team. Like, wow, this is fantastic. What, you know, what, what a way to kind of demonstrate your personality to get into the first team and do something like that. And then, there, in truth, there was a levelling out. Mm. There was a, a, a kind of drop off. And that makes me 
And, you know, I said this the other day, at times maybe, maybe I'm over-optimistic and at times maybe I kind of see, see the, the kind of the possibility of success rather than the possibility of failure. But it makes me think that could Bordelas be really good for him? Because could Bordelas be the person that helps provide him with the thing that maybe he didn't have? Mm. That little touch of something extra, that little touch of being a bit more direct, of being a, maybe a bit more nasty at times. Um, and, and I also think that the Spain formation suits him very well because... Carlos Soleris would see himself, I think, as a as a central midfielder. Um, certainly, at that point in the B team, I think was playing off the front, sort of as a in a midfield diamond, as the I suppose the number ten, not quite a number ten, but sort of the number ten. Obviously, because there hasn't always been a complete trust in him taking the control of the middle of midfield with Valencia. He's often played a kind of a narrow role on one of the two sides, normally on the right, but 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 he's played on both sides, I think. Um, and, and so that narrow role, role on one of the two sides really obviously translates as one of the interiores in a 4-3-3. Mm. And, and that, I think, suits him really quite well. And, and, and it's, as you say, it's an opportunity because Pedri's not there. That's true. But of course, that's the nature of football. Opportunities arise because there's a space in the team. And, and I think he's, he's, he's done a really, really good job of taking that opportunity. And, you know, his, his attitude and in fairness, like all of the players that were called up as part of that B squad in the summer was absolutely impeccable. You know, trained really well, genuinely seen there might be a possibility of him going to the Euros. None of them did. Um, and, and, and I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm really, really pleased for him. OK, let's see how he gets on and how Spain get on against Kosovo tomorrow. Uh, moving on, because we've got lots of... Other... Hang on, hang on, Phil, Phil. The, the, the Football Federation... Sorry, the Kosovan Football Federation... Yes, the Kosovan Football Federation. We couldn't possibly call them Kosovo. It's it's all a bit it's all a bit political here. But yeah, Spain basically not recognising Kosovo as um, as a as a country because if they did that, then oh, heaven knows what might happen to certain regions in Spain who want to potentially vote for independence. So yeah, the Kosovan Football Federation. Moving on because uh, there is lots of other stuff for us to uh, cram mm. into this uh, podcast. Uh, Barcelona uh, this weekend uh, on Sunday we saw both Catalan sports papers uh, featuring leaked. Barca documents. Sport had Griezmann's contract. Mundo Deportivo had Messi's infamous bureau facts. Um, anything of interest that you'd like to uh, go through from this, Sydney? Yes. Um, remember when I, I say remember? Oh, I'm sorry. My my computer's just done something very silly. Uh, that's the classic um, pop up advert. It's an advert in case you're interested for Melia Hotels. Would you like to reserve a hotel in? Okay. in no, we weren't in, in somewhere. We very much were not. <laughs> anyway, yes. so, so remember, remember I said, and obviously you don't have to remember this from very long ago, about how one of the interesting things about, the fact, about us all knowing about the bid that Real Madrid made for Mbappé was the very fact that we all knew about it. Mm-hmm. And you've just asked me what's the most interesting thing about this. Mm-hmm. I think that is the most interesting thing about this. It doesn't smell like coincidence to me that sport and Mundo Deportivo on the same day have documents from within the club that, um, that reveal things that are very significant about two players who have departed. Mm. And this feels very much... And by the way, I don't think it's necessarily unfair that this should be the case. It feels very much like a club trying to justify very difficult decisions made over the summer and potentially very unpopular decisions made over the summer. So, of course, the Bureau facts, in a way, it doesn't justify anything because it's a year further on. But what it does say is, look, let's not forget that this was messy where this all started. You know, this beginning of the end started with him, albeit with a different president. So in that um, sense, from the current Barcelona board's point of view, 
it, it, it does two things. It puts a finger on Bartomeu and it puts a finger on Messi. In the case of Griezmann, it responds to something that um, is a departure for free or on loan, at least for the time being. Um, but it explains the financial mechanics behind it because it, it says how much he was due to earn, which, correct me if I'm wrong, was over a hundred was it 177 and a half million with variables yeah with variables over yeah. 5 years over the yeah. over, over the next few years which by the way responds to something that, that I must admit um I think we've talked about before the idea that Griezmann wasn't the best paid player at Barcelona actually as you know we we've said this so you know hold our hands up and say mea culpa here at this point the key thing you've just said there is bonuses. In terms of his basic salary, he wasn't, but the bonuses no. were very, very high. No, the basic salary basics, is, uh, well, it was, was 95, fourth, think, 95 million over five years, but that's, that's, that's gross, remember. That's not, net. Yes. that's not what he's taking back. He's taking home about half of that. Exactly. So, yeah. exactly. But of course, the bonuses are, are huge that the whole thing put together, and it's, it's a lot of money. Mm. And that, all of that comes together to, to have a club in a very difficult situation because it has a very, very difficult window. Now, we could have a whole debate here, mm. and if we were a Spanish radio station, We'd have an absolutely furious debate about this. Shall we do this? Shall about, we get really angry? Well, 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 let's maybe have the debate, if, 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 doing it, if, okay. if not necessarily with the anger. Okay, you start talking, I'll is... furiously interrupt you and not let you finish your point, <laughs> and we can make it really authentic. <laughs> <laughs> about whether this has been a bad transfer window for Barcelona. Now, I think, obviously, on the face of it, objectively, it's been a disastrous transfer window. But, of course, you have to look at this in the context of the financial crisis they faced. And the, and the awareness that everybody had of that financial crisis and the difficulty of fixing it. And I think if you look at it like that, in a way you have to say, well, yes, it's a bad window, but it was sort of necessarily bad. Mm. And of course, this is what Laporta is trying to get across. Now, whether this has come from absolutely from presidential level or whether it's a, a little bit less direct than that, these filterings of this information help to make that point. And as I say, I don't necessarily think it's unjust that that point is made. It mm. says, well, hang on. You say it was terrible that we got rid of Griezmann and Messi and, and so on. But what on earth could we do? What mm. on earth were we supposed to do? Um, I think, obviously, there's lots of arguments about whether it could have been managed better, whether it could have happened sooner, whether there could have been um, different ways of, 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 of handling all of this. And Laporta did an interview last night, and we'll come on to this in a minute properly. But one of the things he said was Griezmann, uh, that was why I'd opened the website, by the way, because I was just looking for the exact quote, Griezmann was not the player we needed. Hmm. Uh, and he's talking about, he says, he, maybe he didn't fit in the Barcelona system. Hmm. Now, I think that you can make that argument. But I think it's a bit bizarre to make that argument post-Messi. Well, exactly. That's the thing. At, yes. at, the, at <laughs> this point, he, he could have been that player. Yeah. Uh, and obviously, there's a whole argument about, given that all this was going to happen, the argument about, could you have waited longer with Messi? Um, looking at the finances, the answer is no, because Messi had to go and Griezmann had to go. Remember we'd said earlier in the summer, mm -hmm. look, it genuinely isn't sustainable that Griezmann and Messi both stay. Mm. I'll be honest, we didn't anticipate that it wasn't sustainable that neither of them stayed. Mm. Now, obviously, this is partly because Umtiti didn't go, because Pjanic didn't go, at least not with a transfer fee, um, because other players weren't sold. Laporta said last night that we were never going to sell Ansu Fati. Well, I'm not saying for sure that he would have done but I would have liked to have seen that resolve tested by a 150 million euro bid. Mm. Because, for example, when um, I went to interview Laporta in, when would it be, February, I think, before the presidential elections. And, of course, at that point, his whole discourse was, we keep messy. And we shouldn't forget this. And I'm not blaming Laporta necessarily because he inherited a massive mess. But he won the presidency on the basis of, we keep messy. And 
We actually asked him during that interview, so what about the, you know, what about Fatty? What about the younger players? Is, 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 there, a, is there a revenue stream there? And he was really, really non-committal on Ansu Fatty at that point. Mm. At a time when he was saying Messi doesn't go. So I'm not saying that he would have sold Fatty, but I suspect that had he been given a really, really big offer, well, he'd have thought about it. Well, there were reports last night on El Larguero uh, that Barca were trying to sell Ansu Fatty this summer for 100 million euros, that basically everyone was for sale. And um, they okay. sounded out various clubs and agents over a possible deal. So that's what old uh, yeah. Manu Carreño said yesterday on El Larguero. And uh, you can sort of believe that. Uh, there was also yeah. another interesting quote that we have to mention from the uh, Joan Laporta interview last night, saying that Atletico's option to buy Griezmann will become obligatory if he plays at least half of the games he's available for. So mm. you would have thought that that is going to be the case. And he... One of the things that always happens with obligatory purchase clauses... Mm-hmm is that obligatory never seems to become quite as obligatory as it once looked. <laughs> there, all, there, there always seems to be some negotiating room. Because, mm. of course, clubs deal in, in the real world. And, yes, there is a legal framework, but clubs do deal in, in the real world. And, and so that obligatory thing, let, let's see, because then, you know, there can be further negotiations down the track and, and, and so on. Uh, one other thing, by the way, just very briefly, you said, was there anything that stood out about those two documents? Yes. Um, the, a very basic one. which is you read the wording of Messi's Burofax letter um, and it's absolutely clear cut in that Burofax letter that he knew that by the letter of the law Mm. he could not leave. Mm. And that letter basically appeals for an interpretation of the law, Mm. i.e. the spirit of the law, to allow him to go. But he knew at that point that he had missed the deadline. Mm. We mentioned Ansu Fati. He is Barcelona's new number 10. The squad's mm. numbers confirmed uh, following the footsteps of Lionel Messi, Ronaldinho, Rivaldo, Hadji, Romario, Stoichkov, some legendary players. No pressure. No pressure there. Hmm. Well, here's, here's, the, here's the story to, to do the no pressure. You've missed a player off that list and the, the other one is Steve Archibald. Yeah. Um, and, and this is, I mean, this might sound like a, a completely random story, but let me tell you it anyway. And I, I have written this before, so if you've read it, apologies. But Steve Archibald turned up at Barcelona, uh, of course, in the, in the wake of the departure of Diego Maradona. And Diego Maradona wore number 10. And Steve Archibald had been promised by Terry Venables, the new manager, and even had it written into his contract that he would wear number 8, which was the number that he wore at Spurs and was the number that he wanted to wear. He turns up the first day... And he finds Bern Schuster holding the number eight shirt. And he notices that the only shirt available is the number 10. And the number 10, he sort of thinks, well, I don't want the number 10. <laughs> Nothing to do with Maradona. I don't want the number 10 because I've got the number eight. And he says to Schuster, Bern, that shirt, shirt's mine. And at that point, he gets an illustration of the enormity of Maradona. Because Schuster, put bluntly, is frightened of having Maradona's shirt. Mm. Doesn't want Maradona's shirt. So Schuster is saying to him, but Steve... I can't wear number 10. I'm not having, I, I can't wear number 10. Archibald does something which he's said since many times he thought was very important in terms of winning over Schuster, in terms of starting on the right foot. He impressed upon Schuster the significance of number eight to him. Not the significance of number 10 as something to avoid, but the significance of number eight as something to take. He explained to him that this is in my contract. He looked him in his eye and he said, Burn, you take eight, I'll take ten, I don't give a shit. <laughs> and, and that is, I mean, Steve is very, as you know, because you know Steve very well, Steve is incredibly single-minded, very, very tough, 
um, and, and showed the person that he'd say, I don't give a toss, it's Maradona. Hmm. He also had Maradona's locker, by the way, and he tells the story of finding a whole load of perfumes in there. Um, and he said he smelt very nice for the first couple of months at the club because he was using these perfumes that Maradona had left behind. Um, but, but that, I suppose, is the, is the attitude to have, to not give a shit. Which is why I'm slightly surprised they didn't give it to Memphis, although they couldn't, of course, because he's already played in a different number. That's true. Um, There's absolutely no way this podcast is going out on Indian iTunes. There's three expletives already, Sydney. (laughs) Sorry about that, Indian iTunes. I know, it's been been an early start (laughs) (laughs) on a long Tuesday morning. But anyway, uh, Barca have also got rid of Miralem Pjanic, who's gone to Besiktas on loan. Um, I was surprised by that. I, I, I mean, I was only surprised, I suppose, because I was credulous enough to believe what we kept being told, which was that, yeah, Juventus want him. It's just a question of finding the right mechanics for it, the right, the right deal. Yes. And this makes me think, did they just not want him? Well, did they just think he wasn't very good anymore? Yeah, clearly, I think. No? Um, yeah, and he, he gave an interview, a very interesting yes. interview, in which he said that Kuman basically didn't speak to him. Hmm. Um, that he went to Kuman and say, help me, tell me what I need to do, tell me how I have to change and that Kuman didn't want to know. Mm. To be honest, that's not entirely surprising mm. Kuman. Yeah. To be honest, I do feel a bit sorry for for Pjanic because while I, you know, I've said lots of times this was a terrible deal done for all the wrong reasons, that's not necessarily Pjanic's fault uh, and he was entitled to expect some opportunities. While I suspect he might not have been good and certainly not as good as Ilaich and as good as Pedri have, have proven to be, um, it, it still does feel it still does feel a bit unnecessarily cold. What the hell is going on with this website? This is why I hate websites, Philip. They do this to you all the time. Are you still there? I'm here, mate. That's sport, by the way. Okay, close it. <laughs> yeah, I've closed it. I have got rid of sport out of here. Yes. Um, let's move on because this weekend you are going Sydney, I think, aren't you? Somewhere you yes. haven't been for a year and a half. Back to the Bernabeu. Yeah, assuming that it is the Bernabeu, by the way, because, because of course, Real Madrid are planning for it to be, be, be at home. Yes. They have sent out the emails to season ticket holders about applying for their seats over a, pro, a process which lasts for basically the rest of this week. Um, but the last photographs of the stadium was it's in some pretty serious works still. Now, obviously, they will cut off, block off certain parts of the stadium. They don't actually need to finish it to get the, is it 60% in? But they need to be close yes. to finish to get 60% in. Um, yes. The I'm stadium was laid today, like. uh, I think, or yesterday. I think the the, the sorry, the pitch, the pitch right. was being laid uh, either today or, or, or yesterday. And yeah, Real Madrid against Celta Vigo this weekend. Let's see, let's see if we can get some football back at the Bernabeu. Is not the same playing at the Di Stefano for all no, sorts it really of reasons. Isn't. It, it really, it isn't. really, really, really isn't. So fingers crossed, we can all get back into the into the Bernabeu and enjoy one of Spain, Europe, and the world's great football stadiums. So, and also, it'd be uh, interesting to see what it looks like with 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 the work done because obviously, in a way, uh, and I don't know how many of our listeners have been to the Bernabeu, but 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 the the kind of match watching experience is really not going to be very different. The sort of the internal architecture of the stadium, looking at the pitch, is basically the same. There's mm. the, I think there's an additional 3,000 seats. What's really different is the kind of literally like the outer casing of the stadium, which is going to be made kind of silver and spaceshipy. Yes, and also just generally the surroundings as well. They've got yeah. rid of that sort of strange old super uh, shopping centre that was um, kind of inside it, and uh, it's going to be yeah, brand spanking new outside, concourse, trees planted. It's going to look great. Um, and obviously, for them, not having football there for a while so kind of worked in their favour and being able to play at the uh, Di Stefano as well because it meant that they can, could 
uh, crack on with the work. So yeah, it's going to be finished much, they're much ahead of schedule. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so, um, uh, so let's see. Other transfer news that we need to tell you about. Rayo Baiacano have signed Falcao. Sounds crazy. It's actually literally happened. He's 35, yeah. um, but he's going to be playing at Vallecas. And I've been, I think, I've been saying for a while, <laughs> Rayo need a striker. Desperately, desperately, badly need a striker. They've got one of the best strikers that's ever played in La Liga, certainly the 21st century. Yeah, in terms of I, pure finishing, uh, El Tigre in those couple of seasons at Atletico Madrid was one of the best ever. Yeah, I, I don't know if outside of Spain there's a there's a full appreciation of just how extraordinary he was at Atletico for those two seasons. I mean as you mm. say to to use to use a kind of a, a a spanishism, you know, you could cross in a melon and he'd score with it. You know, he just yeah. everything would just <laughs> end up in the back of the net. He, he just a brilliant, relentless and really clever striker. Um it feels like his career sort of ended quite a long time ago. And I must yeah. admit, I was surprised that he was only 35. Uh, yeah. I was surprised he wasn't older than that. In, in theory, at least, that's a guy that, if he stays fit for the full season, is young enough that he can be really, really useful for Rio. Now, obviously, how good is good going to be? The fact that he's at Rio Vallecano tells you something of that, because this is a team that should be fighting to not go down. But imagine if he gets it right, Phil. And I know, I know you have been imagining if he gets it right. This could be <laughs> absolutely brilliant. It could be so much fun as well, because... Because although he's a sort of a, I was going to call him a nuts and bolts striker, but that's so unfair because he's more than that. But but although he is essentially a, a rematador, you know, a guy that everything goes in the net, he yeah. is so good at it and he has so much variety to his finishing. And um, that the, this could be a lot of fun. He still plays for Colombia, by the way. Like he just yeah. played in the most two recent World Cup qualifiers this weekend. Like he plays for Colombia still. doesn't necessarily start, but he comes on and, and plays for them. So he's still an international striker. Yeah. He only needs to score like nine or ten goals, I think, exactly for Ryan that. maybe. For double it to figures. Be, yeah, double figures. And yes. it, it's really, really important. So let's see. Another absolutely uh, insane and out-of-nowhere transfer also happened. Elche signing Javier Pastore on a one-year deal. Um, he's only 32, obviously the former PSG midfielder. He moved to Roma and had a disastrous time there. Only five sub-appearances in Serie A last season. Missed most of the injury, most of the season with with injury. Um, if you look at Elche and their owner, uh, he is Argentine. Mm. He's got a lot of contacts in the footballing world. So if you put two and two together, maybe it makes a little bit more sense. But it's still a, a very, very left field signing. This it really is, isn't it? Um... And, and as you say, the owner has got contacts I and mean, the owner is an agent and that always makes you slightly <laughs> uneasy about it, which isn't necessarily to say it's, it's a bad thing, but it always makes you wonder a little bit. Um, I just don't know if Pastore is any good anymore. But on the, no face, of it, no yeah, on the, on the face of it, this is, this is actually really quite a big signing for Elche, isn't it? It's really, really it's quite huge. exciting now. These kind of things don't always pay off, but you know, we've just allowed ourselves to be super optimistic about Falcao. So why not be super optimistic about Pastore as well? And also, let's be super optimistic and if perhaps a little bit sarcastic as well uh, about Squadron Mustafi joining Levante. Producer Al has put in the production notes that should sort out their defensive issues. <laughs> oh, but the, the, the Arsenal sting is still there. Yes, I, I'm gonna, so. you know what? I'm going to stand up for, for stand up for for Mustafi here. That season at Valencia before he went to Arsenal, yeah, I thought he was exceptional. 
Genuinely, oh, and Arsenal fans will be recoiling to say up. this. Stand up for Squadron. Uh, uh, yeah. Stand up for the Squadron. <laughs> oh, stand. Uh, <laughs> and I thought it was absolutely exceptional. Now, admittedly, that's quite a long time ago, and there has been yeah. quite a lot of evidence since of him not being exceptional. But you know, yeah. But when he was in Spain, behalf? yeah. Last time he was in Spain, he was great. Great. He did okay. play for Germany. You know, we're not talking about we're not talking about a player who who played for a, you know, and I'm not going to name them because I don't want lots of angry letters. Play for a really rubbish country. He played for a yeah. really big international team. Let's see how those three interesting uh, signings get on in La Liga. Uh, we have had football in Spain over the weekend in La Segunda, Sporting atop. Sorry, Sid. They beat Girona 2-1 on Friday. Almeria is second. They beat Malaga 2-0. Eibar and Leganes drew 1-1. Oviedo got their first win of the season last night, beating Huesca by two goals to one. You were watching some of that in the car, driving back from Cadiz. I, I, I was, but I, I only managed to watch the first half. Well, not yeah. quite the first half. We, we stopped at a petrol station just before half time, And then um, I took over the driving. And I had my phone beeping, obviously, with the messages, with the live score coming in. Yes. But I couldn't see it. And yes. I said, what does that say? 2-1 uh, <laughs> to Wesker. I was like, oh, damn, but useless, useless F-words. <laughs> I got home, started unpacking bags, and then looked at my phone and went, wait a minute, we won 2-1, we didn't lose 2-1. So that was a nice <laughs> surprise around about midnight last night. Good, good, good. Uh, you also went to see Algeciras against Andorra, ticked off uh, another stadium there and got another mug as well. Um, hold that because we're running out of time, so we'll, we'll talk about that uh, maybe uh, a little bit later on this week over at patreon.com forward slash TSFP where we've got a really busy week. Uh, we've got a Q&A pod today. Uh, we've also got, uh, answering your questions, a bonus pod on Thursday, looking ahead to match day four. We're starting a brand new series of TSFP Presents, and we're planning a Zoom call with some of our top tier patrons as well. So come and join us. There is lots of Spanish football content for you, and it's a lovely Spanish football-loving uh, community. Uh, before we go, the Primera División Femenina got started this weekend. Champions Barcelona got underway with a 5-0 win. So did Atletico. Real Madrid lost 4-0 at Levante, very, very eye-catching uh, score there. But really, and we don't profess to be uh, experts in, in Spanish football, uh, Spanish women, <laughs> Spanish women's football, uh, because uh, I think it would be almost a disservice for us to try and say that we cover it. Because you should, if you cover it, you should do it properly. And we don't have time to fully watch the league. However, Barca are not just favourites. I mean, they're going to win the league title again. It just seems mm. how many points they're going to rack up, what their goal difference is going to be. I think it was a plus 146, their goal difference last season, something ridiculous like that. They won the triplete last season, the Copa de la Reina, the league, and the Champions League as well. They are the team to beat, not just in Spain, but also in Europe. Uh, so we'll see how they get on this season. Uh, Sydney, the question there would be, I yeah. suppose, Phil, sorry, very briefly before we end, would, would be whether things are different with a new manager because of course their manager um, left almost immediately after they won the treble basically in a way because they'd won the treble the, the mm. tension between him and the squad had been so great for so long um, in partly because of the drive to win that European Cup that they hadn't won that, that it was kind of unsustainable and, and I suppose that poses all sorts of very broad debates about demands in pursuit of a goal and how long relationships can withstand that kind of really elite level uh, you know, I suppose, kind of breaking point. I don't know what you call it. Yeah, relationship building or or or, or sporting pursuit of sporting excellence. And it, it felt like a really sad way for it to end. 
But of course, it ended partly because they had at last achieved that that aim. Hmm. Listen, if there's anything that we didn't mention on the podcast, send us a question. We will answer it. We will talk about it on the Q&A pod over at patreon.com forward slash TSFP. And if you don't want to become a patron, all right, fine. Don't worry about it. We'll be here next week as ever. See you then. Adios. Cheerio.